If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. They talk, talk, talk about, talk about songs. We certainly do. It's episode 238 of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. My name is Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm here, as always, with the span flandiferous Mark Blankenship. Hi, Mark. Hello, 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 hello. I don't know what span flan, what span flander is exactly, but I like flan. So, ooh, yes, would eat. Yeah, and uh, you know, it means you're sweet and you, you span many things. And sometimes you wave a little uh, mini blowtorch over me. <laughs> and uh, oh, that's creme you know brulee. What? That's it. nobody's business. That's creme brulee anyway. <laughs> Different dessert. <laughs> okay, so uh, we do often um, we are often brought to tears on this uh, podcast, not usually because the song is bad, and I cer- think that's certainly uh, the case this time. Mark has brought today's track. Mark, what are we talking about? Why, this track is The Tracks of My Tears by Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, which, for whatever reason, just got into my head the other day, and I sat there listening to it, then I listened to several covers of it, and by the end of it, I thought, God damn. I know I'm not the first person to say this, but this is a perfect song, and yeah. I wanted to talk about it. So that's really all I got. <laughs> that yeah. was my rationale. I'm not sure this is even my favorite Smokey and the Miracle song, and yet I agree that it's a perfect song. It's perfectly formed. It's It sustains through covers. Um, it, yeah, like this is the definitive version, and yet there is room in this relatively short song for multitudes. So Yes, yeah. that's right. This is the definitive version, but there are other versions that are also a 10. So you yeah. go you go sort it out, world. That's just what we've got. Before we go any further, in case you are not familiar with this song, although if you've listened to our podcast or are listening to this episode, I suspect you already know it. But in case you haven't heard it in a while, here's a clip of the tracks of my tears. I mean, 
Okay, where to start? One of the things that I love about this song, Sarah, is that even though it is so sad lyrically, the structure of it is so clever that I find joy in just appreciating the craftsmanship. Yeah, this is one of those, like, when oldies radio is, like, always on somewhere in your life, which it basically has been for me, uh, there are songs that you're like, I really can't anymore. You are a classic, but you need to fuck off, brown-eyed girl. Oh, God, perfect example. This is always playing somewhere, and I am always content to hear the whole thing. Um, And... Then to, this is definitely one of those where it's like, this is sufficiently vintage of a song. Like, we've all heard it a million times, and how am I going to get a handhold on this thing? Especially since it's like 2 minutes 36, right? So, I was, but it was interesting to contemplate, like, why is it that this, and like, really any other Smokey Robinson song, like, he had a couple of like, breakthrough comeback hits in the 80s that I was like, I don't love this, but I also don't hate it. Why are these songs um, like overplay resistant? And especially because, I mean, I have some like construction theories about why this particular one is overplay resistant, but more generally, um, I find that this arrangement and the one that you usually hear on the radio and you heard it in this clip, like it's not mixed particularly well. No, and he doesn't even necessarily hit the notes all the time. Unless the arrangement is deliberately burying Smokey's vocal because uncut, it's too strong. Mm. And I think that you also find this with a lot of platters songs that like, 100% pure Tony Williams will fucking kill a man. Okay? So they they soup it up with all of this, like, dramatical strings and, like, waltz, like, three, four time and all this stuff that it's like, okay, now in my prayer, which is bathetic, and I, I love it so much, but... Like, if he, if it was just, like, let us pare down this arrangement and let Tony Williams murder the population listening to the radio, it, it's not possible. So I do wonder if the maybe it's just bad mixing or, like, old-time masters that were not great, but there is something about Smokey's voice sometimes that you're like, this is a little scratchy and pitchy and the the mix on the um harmonies is too high like and it's it's topping out and like feeding back almost it's hot but good because if it were just smoky singing this to you with like a a one piano line you just lay down in the street <laughs> like it's just <laughs> too sad yeah I, you know Okay, so I'm talking out talking- my ass. I have no knowledge either way. But occasionally, sometimes these singers from the late 50s and early 60s that it's like, why do they put so much shit on the arrangement? Oh, right. If they took it off, it's like looking into the Ark of the Covenant. You can't do <laughs> it. But you're getting at one of the things that makes this song so wonderful. That's really hard to put into words, which is just there's something about the melody and the vocal performance that's so 
pleasing, beautiful. It, it, I don't even know how to talk about it. It's just like th- I'm sure that there is some sort of scientific argument to be made about why these notes in this order and this harmonic stuff. Yeah, all and work. like the descending, and then the the way that the harmonic, like the backing vocal, sometimes mimics a, a sigh. But like at the end of the day, I don't really need language because my body knows that it loves what it's hearing. There's just something so pleasurable well, about this. I'm and, g- I'm gonna authorize the Wordsworth bingo stamp on that because when you don't need words to describe the song, the song has taken the place of words. Wordsworth. Yeah, well, exactly. But now I do want to reach to uh, cooking reality shows to make another argument, if I may. Please, finally. Because, you know, a lot of times on Top Chef and and its ilk, you will hear the judges say, Sometimes it's just about making the most of simple ingredients mm-hmm. and honoring the ingredients. Yeah. And we talked last week about Peter Gabriel really making a lot of complicated stews with like 67 things. Uh-huh. In, yeah. He's, he's that uh, Wiley Dufresne with the foam. Exactly. And that can be great, right? There there are times when that can work. <laughs> but what I think Phil is- Collins is Paula Dean. <laughs> Yes, yes. (laughs) I apologize to everyone. But, you know, a great chef can startle you because a great chef can look at butter, salt, half a can of tuna, all the shit that you just had in front of you and you never knew what was possible. And the chef can see what was waiting inside of it. And it's astonishing. Mm -hmm. Similarly, the words in this song are everyday words. We all had access to the tools lyrically that Smokey Robinson had access to, but only Smokey Robinson could do what he did here. And I think that is what is amazing to me because let me just read the second verse of this song, which I didn't clip, but whatever. Since you left me, if you see me with another girl, seeming like I'm having fun, although she may be cute, she's just a substitute. Because you're the permanent one. Holy shit. Everybody in this world knows all of those words, but mm-hmm. I didn't know they could go together like that. I, I, it's such a sleek, beautiful way of describing how you are and are not moving on from a broken heart. I, it's just perfect, Sarah. And also, I can't just, get enough. Yeah, like everybody at home in your car doing chores, say the word substitute. Now imagine singing that plangently and how like the scansion this song is a lot harder than it looks yes trying to sing along to this song will teach you oh he's got some rhythmic things going on that i don't even understand Mm. um speaking of things that are um a little bit maybe challenging to do with your mouth i think we have a i think we have a chart (laughs) reading (laughs) yes well Speaking of fluids that can be produced by the human body. (laughs) There it is. It's time to move from tears to something else with this week's pop chart astrology reading. Now, for those of you who are not familiar, the pop chart astrology reading is what happens when I use a song that was number one on a particularly important date in your or a loved one's life and extrapolate your entire destiny from its chart performance. Uh, this week's chart reading goes out to Nick, husband of Gabrielle. Longtime listeners might notice that I have done readings for Nick before regarding his birthday and his anniversary, uh, wedding anniversary with Gabrielle. 
But this week we are going to be looking back uh, just a year to August 24th of 2020, which is the time that Nick decided to make a major career change and leave the hospitality industry to become a paralegal. He is about to start his first paralegal job, a brand new career path, which I can relate to because now I'm a theater producer and I used to be a journalist. What the fuck? But I wanted to let you know, Nick, that on the day that you decided to make that change, the number one song in this country was none other than WAP by Cardi B and Megan The Stallion. And before we play a clip from WAP, let me say, Sarah and listeners, I gave up trying to find a uh, kid-friendly clip from this song because <laughs> that's not possible. So if you have children around you, put cover their ears immediately for the next 30 seconds. Here's a clip from WAP. Yeah, you fucking with some wet ass pussy. Bring a bucket and a mop for this wet ass pussy. Give me everything you got for this wet ass pussy. Now from the top, make it drop. That's some wet ass pussy. Now get a bucket and a mop. That's some wet ass pussy. I'm talking wop, wop, wop. That's some wet ass pussy. Macaroni in a pot. That's some wet ass pussy. Huh. Ah! Oh, it all comes back to cooking. Amazing. Oh my God. Okay. And that doesn't even get to the little dangly thing that hangs down in the back of my throat line. Oh God. Yeah. No. So WAP was a huge deal last year because for one thing, Cardi B had not released a new song where she was the lead artist in quite some time. And she brought with her Megan the Stallion, who was then a rising star has since won the best new artist Grammy, but at the time had not. And this song arrived with an immediate and enormous fanfare because Megan and Cardi had the confidence to write this song, which is not even a single entendre. There's barely any entendre. It's no. just this is what the song is about. Yeah. And the video is incredibly graphic. And <laughs> there's just shot after shot of like snakes going through waterfalls. And you just you just know what's up, right? <laughs> so I... And it became a massively controversial, but also massively successful. And I would say in some ways career defining song for Cardi B, who has had many other hits. But this one really struck a particular chord. And Nick, how does this relate to the destiny of your success, specifically with your willingness to make changes in your life? Well, one thing I think it's very noticeable that you made this change in a time when WAP was delivering such confidence so there really is something about deciding that you're going to move with confidence no matter how many people you might piss off. And a lot of the time, doing confidently what you know you need to do for yourself is going to piss people off because people don't like to have their boats rocked. No double entendre in intended there. <laughs> people don't like to have the script flipped, and they don't necessarily like to be shown what they feel is meant to be private. But you need to, like Cardi and Megan, Feel empowered to just let it all hang out. Be confident. And if people don't like it, fuck them. Because you're still going to find the power that you need to succeed. I also think it's telling that this is a duet. So who is your Megan the Stallion? Who's the Megan to your Cardi? Great question. Because that person will be the person who is able to match you confident word for confident word, wrap themselves up in a snake just like you, and never make you feel like you're making the wrong choice, and instead tell you, get a bucket and a mop. I'm here with you. So Nick, I hope that you have enjoyed this reading. I hope you know that you made a career change under such a bold and powerful star. And now back to the tears.
Uh, all of my respect and admiration for that reading, which I think was right on. Um, <laughs> and uh, here's here's me segueing back out. <laughs> Sucker MCs better step back. Um, in much the same way that you find yourself in conversation with songs and destiny, I feel that one of the appealing things of Tracks of My Tears, one of its appealing aspects, is the conversation and communication that the song is having, A, with itself, intra-song, um, between the lead and the backup singers. We've talked about this yes. ages ago when we invented hashtag Pipshade, that the miracles are experiencing this story in a different way. It's not just straight, like, I'm going to repeat what you just said and, you know, with harmonics. Like, in my opinion, they understand that um, Smokey is depressed and close to breaking down. They are not necessarily, they're like acknowledging this emotion without necessarily sharing it. That Like, they're giving testimony, basically. Mm. And that conversation between the lead and the harmony and the fact that it is effected over the course of two and a half minutes is extraordinary when you stop to think about it, which almost nobody does because the song also works on such um, elemental, visceral, like pleasure centers as well. That is one of the things that you're right makes this version so special because some of the excellent covers, Linda Ronstadt, Dolly Parton, uh, even Brian Adams, their whose cover is like surprisingly good. Yeah, they, I, I don't hate that one. I would like listen to it arms folded and was like, oh, this is this is fine. This is like a B yeah. plus. Good job, dude. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I I totally was ready to be like, this is a piece of no. Yeah. Wait, you know what no. I hate? Not this. Not huh. this. <laughs> but you're but that all of those versions are just one voice, and this version does have that conversation which adds to the impact because yeah. you're right like they're supporting him and they see what's happening yeah there is a knowing compassion in the uh in the backup vocal but it's also having this conversation with other smoky and the miracle songs like tears of a clown which is like i love that this image keeps coming back yeah. for them and i would also like to say um, wh whoever among you is like, oh, these old songs, they're so simple and cinchy and whatever. Like, all right, you get Pagliacci into a pop song. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think so. I mean, I'll be you could try it. I'll be waiting over here with a snake wrapped around me to see how you do. You're not, you're not gonna, you're not gonna do. It. Um, but that's, I think that's one of the many wonderful things about looking at some of these older songs that seem that might seem aside from whatever emotional effect they're having that when you sort of flip it over and look at how the tapestry's knotted you're expecting um to find like pretty straightforward pearl side stitching and what you actually get is like th that the artist has found a way to sign it in thread I've completely lost control of this metaphor, which is why I don't write pop songs and it's for the best. Um, but that that is like a really neat thing to me in some of these older songs that when you're investigating, why does this work and why is it why does it still work instead of my being like, I need to change the station when it comes on, um, that it's having conversations with everything that was happening at the same time it was, but also everything that has happened 
since, and we get to listen in on that conversation, and that's neat. I agree. And thinking about that tapestry uh, image, which has been so helpful to us in this show's history. Well, it was until I just ruined it, but yes, thank you. (laughs) But I also just feel like I really was thinking this time about the lyrical construction of this song in a way I never have before, at least with this focus. And Mm -hmm. the classic line, my smile is my makeup I wear since my breakup with you. Mm -hmm. It's so simple. It's all one syllable words and they're all given equal emphasis by the singer. But that is actually a brilliant way to get the point across because Mm -hmm. that that is the only section of the song that is in this like forceful staccato everything is equally emphasized way you know it's like everything else has got just there's this is the most forceful moment of the song in terms of that sonic experience and i think it it's just so perfectly acts as a summary of everything that you've just heard yeah and the internal rhyme of makeup and breakup is just really satisfying. And it, it just, it's, it's this way of signaling orally without even understanding the words that we've reached the thesis or that I should say the conclusion right. of the emotional journey. And I just think that is so fucking brilliant because if he had started yeah. the song, if that stuff, if that had arrived at the beginning, then it would have not had the same effect. But because we reached this delivery at the end, it feels like a conclusion and it makes this very short song feel like an entire fucking journey. And it's important too to note that just before that is where we get the part of the song where the backing vocalist and Smokey are trading off words. Mm-hmm. Like they sing some and he sings some, but then they all come together for this part. And yeah. you just feel like the entire community is like putting a bow on it. This is what we fucking mean. Tears. I love it. Yeah. And that that part, like when I said when I what I said before about the word substitute, like there are certain words that it's like, okay, this scans properly and it rhymes and everything. But like, I mean, possibly the reason you don't hear the word fuck knuckle in uh, pop songs more is because you're not going to get radio play. And also because it's a word that I think I may have made up or gotten from some 70s Boston crime movie. But fuck knuckle is also hard to sing. Like there are certain like uh, palate based um, or like fricatives that it's like th- you can't use this word because it's just going to get in your way. Right. So similar to that, my smile is my makeup I wear since my breakup with you. Like that's a lot. That's a lot of soft tissue shit. I sort of wish your husband was here to correct or agree but that's a lot of soft tissue shit in the throat that is like closing it's closing it off it's not these big vowels like masquerade is a little easier because you can just like open up you can open your throat here we are back at (laughs) wop wop um and um so there's this goes back to this story and this conversation that i feel is happening in the song that uh, Smokey Robinson is trying to relate this emotion without letting it completely overtake him. And the miracles are here for that. And, uh, but then this is where the dam breaks. Like the, those short, close vowels, um, in the jaw are the, the dam. And then they break at that last singing of the chorus, which is like him, like, literally hooting in pain as mm-hmm. as the song goes out and then you hear the miracles like scrambling 
It's like that time in late September 2001 when I was singing the national anthem at a Blue Jays game in Toronto and sobbing. Because it was like, whatever, two weeks after 9-11. And all these Canadians pop up around me and start singing the anthem with like made-up words because they don't know it. Because they felt bad for me. And they were trying to provide covering fire because my singing of the anthem is not cute even when I'm not like a snotty mess. This is like that. The miracles are like, oh, shit. <laughs> like, we're in trouble. We only have 20 seconds to go. He's going to start crying. Someone get a cab. Like, and, you know, they're singing. And that that mix sometimes is like, uh, I don't know. It's weirdly, uh, I mean, it, it's a testament to sort of uh, the grief of a breakup, but also how your friends are there for you when you're heartbroken <laughs> that the miracles are like, it, it's okay. Yeah, all right. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know. She was the, she was the best. You're right, man. So does anyone have huh. a Kleenex? Like, I, I mean, I just love that, that, that the story of Smokey Robinson and the miracles is also part of this song. Yeah, and again, we get so much story in less than three minutes. <laughs> yeah, and it's not 255 either. Like, they are in and out of this, you know, five-act play in no time. There are meatloaf songs that haven't even reached the first chorus in the time that it takes this entire <gasps> and song to happen. now we're back at cooking shows. Oh, my God. It's really impressive. Um, Good job. The last fun fact I just want to share is I learned in doing research that apparently the Who were so besotted with the way that Smokey Robinson sings the word substitute in this song that it inspired them to write the song substitute. Really? Yes. Isn't that cool? I I mean, the who some I'm kind of like neutral on the who. Um, I think Pete Townsend is um, possibly a possibly a canceled guy, but um, that makes me like them more. That's pretty that's pretty rad. I agree. Well, I want to tell you what, if you take a good look at my face, Sarah, the smile is in place because I always do enjoy making this show with you. Me too. Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, that's me, and Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. I also edit the podcast, which is a proud member of the Believe Network. Learn more at BLEAV.com. To learn more about us, submit song requests, get a pop chart reading, or buy a Mastis book, visit our website at MarkandSarahTalkAboutSongs.com. You'll also find all of our social media links there, too. That's Mark and Sarah, with an H, TalkAboutSongs.com. And for even more content and access to the Mastass Happy Hour, become a Patreon supporter at Patreon.com slash Mastass. Thanks for listening. He's lost someone way to him, and he's crying now, although he doesn't show. about songs they talk 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 about talk about songs 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.